You guys can be seated. I'm going to try and be brief this morning. I know we've already talked a lot at you guys. Um, man, I feel like I don't even need to say anything. Between, between the prayer, the reading, the worship, David sharing, like I think we're good. See you guys later. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, man, thank you guys. Thank you, thank you, David, for being out here and sharing with us. I am... Um, I know you guys, like I know, I know that hit you the way it hit me. I, I, I know that you guys are, are in on that. Um, I, I know that that's something that our church is, is, is going to come around. Um, so today, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're finishing out Mark chapter 1 this morning. So you can turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 35. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we have house Bibles at the end of each row. You can uh, look down the edge of your row and give someone a dirty look, and they'll give you one. Um, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have, we, we, we have those. We, um, we have those Bibles here and available because as a church, we care about the Word of God and its importance in the life of the believer. And so if you don't have access to the Bible, please take one of those as our gift to you. We, would, we want to make sure you have access to a copy of God's Word. So we're in, we're in Mark chapter 1 today, um, and I'm going to read us our passage Again, starting in verse 35, and uh, it says this in the 35th verse of the, the first chapter of the gospel, according to Mark. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, he being Jesus, and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And this is the word of the Lord. So uh, if you guys recall, where, where we're at in the story is that Jesus has kind of just begun his his public ministry, right? And so he's hanging out in C Capernaum in Galilee, the northern part of Palestine at this time, around this big inland sea, the Sea of Galilee. And he's started his ministry in the city Capernaum. And kind of the way it blew up is he went into the synagogue and, and he taught, and then he cast out a demon. And everyone was like, oh, that doesn't normally happen during our worship gatherings. There's not usually a lot of, a lot of exorcism. That's pretty crazy. And, and then he left and went to this house that was, was very close to the synagogue, one of his 
first follower, Simon. It was, it was his mother-in-law's house, and she was sick there, and Jesus heals her, and, and, uh, and then they, they kind of set up shop there. And as word of this healing and this exorcism and his teaching spread around the city of Capernaum, the whole city starts to kind of crowd this house. And, and everyone who has any kind of illness or, or any kind of spiritual oppression begin to bring people to Jesus in this house. And he just heals and heals and heals and heals and heals. And, and if the story were a movie, like this would be the, the part where it just shows like, like Jesus like healing one person after another, after another, after another. And like the sun goes down and it like slowly fades to black with like Jesus just healing and healing and healing and healing. And our story starts just a couple hours later. So the whole city crowds this house and Jesus spends the entirety of the day and the evening and the night just healing and healing and healing and healing. And then the story picks up in the pre-dawn hours. Jesus gets up before everybody else and he sneaks out of the house and he exits out of the city and he wanders out into the wilderness surrounding the city and he gets by himself in the quiet, in the dark, in the isolation and he prays, right? And he just sits there communing with the Father. And, and as he does that, the sun comes up and people start to wake up and the crowd gathers again and everyone realizes, wait a minute, Jesus is gone, so they go out and they start looking for him. They, they rack the town. They search everywhere. They spread the search outside of the city. And, and the way Mark tells it, Peter or Simon finds Jesus first. I mean, I'm not, I mean, you know, this is the authoritative and errant word of God, but Peter did write this account. So and when it says he found him first, I'm just, but, but for real, so, so they're searching everywhere and Peter uh, finds Jesus and says to him, hey, come on, the, the crowds are back. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's keep this going. And Jesus' response is just kind of, no, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. Um, we're going to keep going. I actually need to leave this area, and I need to go to the surrounding cities and villages and, and preach and proclaim the God. That's actually, I'm here to preach and proclaim the word, and so we need to go do that. And so they go, and he goes throughout the towns and villages in Galilee, this northern part of Palestine, and he, he preaches the word everywhere he goes, healing and, and casting out demons every, in, in this entire region. And Mark does here something that, that he actually does a lot in his telling of the story, where he gives us this kind of general overview of a season of Jesus's ministry, and then he zones in, he kind of backs up and zones in on a couple specific stories. So it's like, here's the overview, and then he backs up and gives you some scenes within that. So he's given us this overview that Jesus is wandering around around Galilee preaching his message, which uh, we have a picture of his message in verse uh, 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The, the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent, believe. This is the message that he's spreading throughout Galilee. And so he, he does this work, and, and we get this picture starting in verse 40 of a specific scene within that season of ministry. Now, this story is really familiar to a lot of us, and so I want to give you an encouragement. I, I know that pretty much anyone who spent any time in church has heard this story. I want to really encourage you right now to try and engage this story afresh. 
I, I think there's something here for us that, that we really need this morning. I think, it, I think the Spirit has been proclaiming one thing to us as, as the bride since we walked in this room this morning, and I think this, this piece of the text is going gonna, is gonna to scream that to us loud and clear. So I encourage you, if, I, I, just, I ask you guys, like, be with me in this story for a few moments that we might, that we might hear from our Lord. So, here's the, the short bullet point version of the story. A leper comes up to Jesus and says, you can heal me if you want to, and Jesus says, you're right, and heals him, and then says, don't tell anybody I did that, and then he tells everybody he did that. The end. That's, that's the story, right? That's the short version. This, this man who is very ill says, you can heal me. And we as the reader go, well, duh, he's just been healing people for the last like 30 verses. And Jesus goes, yes, I can. And he heals him. And then Jesus does this strange thing. He tells him, don't tell anyone, which up until this point in the story, the only people that Jesus has told to be quiet are demons. So he tells this sick guy, don't tell anyone I healed you. And then the guy goes and tells everyone he healed him. And then you know, everyone wants to come see Jesus after that. So here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like to pull out a couple just historical contextual pieces from this passage. By the way, we could spend a whole Sunday just on that first section and, and the idea of, of Jesus right, going off in isolation to pray and, and preparation for ministry and the importance of the gospel and, and how healing ministry and proclamation ministry, like we could talk so much in those first few verses, but, but uh, we don't have time. So we're going to dig into just this piece of the story. And so what, what I'd like for us to do is we're going to point out just a couple specific contextual things that you might miss if you haven't read this in a study Bible or with a commentary. And that, that's going to take us around to the Psalms. And we'll actually end our time with some worship kind of guided from the words of the psalmist. So, so you have this leper who approaches Jesus. Now, right off the bat, this story is, is incredible because of that fact. So this guy has leprosy. If, I, I know like most of us have a general idea of leprosy, right? This really debilitating, awful skin disease where uh, depending on uh, what specifically it is, like there can be loss of feeling and open sores and rot in the body and loss of limbs and things like that. And this time, uh, according, according to kind of the intertestamental period when the Jewish folk were, were spending a lot of energy interpreting the OT, uh, the Old Testament. Um, th- there's, there's really like 70 to 100 skin diseases that, that get classified as leprosy in the Bible. You can read about this in Leviticus 13 if you're really interested in God's take on dermatology. Uh, but, but he talks about what to do and how to handle skin diseases. And for some reason, amongst the Jewish people, skin disease is not like other illness. It, it takes on this much, like this significantly deeper weight. It's not just, oh, you have a skin disease. No, someone who has what ends up being classified as leprosy is not just a sick person. They have become unclean. Which, again, this centers around, like, this goes back to some of the cores of, of the Jewish understanding of spirituality and God's relation to his creation. But the leper is not just a sick person. They are unclean. They are cut off from connection to God. They, 
They are poisonous. They are antithetical to the covenant. If God's covenant with his people allows for connection between God and his creation, uncleanliness breaks that connection. And so the leper, as as Jewish society moves forward, the leper becomes this entire thing, this whole subculture of separation and shame and, and social pariah builds around leprosy. And by the time you get to Jesus' life and Jesus' engagement with God's people, there is an entire structure built around what happens when someone gets leprosy. And it's bad news. It's bad news. If you are found to have leprosy, first and foremost, you are banned from the temple worship in the synagogue. So the very first thing that happens to you is exclusion from God's people, exclusion from worship, and ultimately disconnection from God. You are, you are outside of that. Then you, you, are no longer, like you are not given the freedom to engage with your family anymore. You, you, you cannot return home. You cannot even walk inside your house again. You can't say goodbye to your family or anyone you you once like so this 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 diagnosis right happens in the temple or in the synagogue or in the house of a levite depending on where you are right but it's done by a levite and once it's declared you don't even get to go home you go straight outside the community straight into banishment as it were um the way things had developed socially at this point, the leper not only lost access to their home, they actually lost their family name. They, they were no longer a part of their family, their tribe, their clan. They were, they were totally separate from it. And, and they were not allowed to go within 50 paces of another human being. So, so put that like 100, 150 feet. You're not allowed to go near anyone. No physical contact whatsoever. If some unsuspecting person accidentally walks into your hundred foot circle, you actually have to shout unclean so that they know you're there so they can leave. The, the leper, when, when the diagnosis would happen on, on, on a side note, there would be this kind of ceremony where they would tear the leper's clothes so that large portions of their skin were exposed so that people could see, oh, this person has leprosy, and they're required to wear tattered clothes. They're not allowed to keep their hair. They had to put a veil over their face so they could not even breathe on people. And then they're separated. Total separation. They, they're not allowed access to their property, their family, their faith, anything. And on top of that, in a world with no access to medical science, nah, there's a good chance you're going to die from whatever illness you have right now. So to be a leper is not a good lot in life. I don't know if you can guess that, right? So, so the very fact that this leper approaches Jesus already sets this story off as, as one that's unique. It's, it's already really intense because this dude breaks the law. Like he's actually, he actually, there, there are like legal consequences for this guy for approaching Jesus the way he does. And there are legal and ceremonial consequences for Jesus for responding to the guy the way he does. There's, 
There's a whole thing that happens in this story, and it's going to, I think, illuminate it for us a little bit. But here's, here's what I'd like for us to do first. I, I really want us to put ourselves in the place of this man. I, I want us to put ourselves in the mental and emotional space that he's in. And the reason for that is this. This is so foreign to us. On one hand, this is so foreign to us. On the other hand, we do terrible things like this all the time by ostracizing people and pushing them out of our social circles and, and dehumanizing them and taking away their dignity. That actually happens all the time. But this specific methodology through the disease of, of leprosy, this is foreign to us. And, and so even though the actual heart issue here is really close to home, this specific outpouring of it is, is a little strange. And so I want us to to put ourselves in this guy's shoes. So here's how I want you guys to do this. I want you to actually use your imaginations with me for a minute. So if you need to close your eyes and envision this, you can do that. If you want to just sit, you can do that. I really want you guys to put yourself in the story. Imagine you live in first century Palestine. So the modern, modern Near East, right? You you live there. You're this Jewish sustenance farmer. You have a little family, a lot of land. You have your home where your extended family lives in it, your, your, your wife, your children, your, your parents, your grandparents, if they're still alive. You guys do okay. You scrape by, you grow about enough food that most of you get to eat most of the time. And here's what I mean by that. Your farm's actually more than more than capable of sustaining your whole family, but you guys are, you're in, you're in a point in human history, in your people's history, where you're conquered by this foreign power that blasphemes everything sacred to you all the time. And, and they require an immense amount of taxes and tribute from you. So you make more than enough food to feed your family and actually sell produce and make a living, but you're paying about 90% of that in taxes. So for, for every, every, every piece of grain or barley you grow, every date that your trees produce, you get to keep one out of every 10 of those things, right? So, but you're doing, you're doing pretty good. You feed your kids pretty much every week. And, and it seems like at the end of the month, more often than not, there are more mouths than there is food, but you and your, you and your spouse, you're, you're pretty strong, and so you kind of take turns choosing who's just going to do a little extra fasting that month, right? And, and for the most part, you make stuff work. You have access to a local synagogue. You get, you get to worship. Even though, even though like, the, the power over you who actually controls your life and takes these taxes blasphemes your God every single day and rubs your face in it, at least you still have access to your synagogue, and you can read and hear, hear readings from the scripture, and you can be reminded from, from these, these wonderful men of God like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel that, that God is stronger than these powers and that he's going, to, he's going to fix this, right? And so you can take hope in that until one night when you, when you come in from working in the field all day, your spouse goes, you, did you cut your hand? And you look down and you go, yeah, 
There's like blood on your robe and you've got this cut on your finger and you're like, huh, I didn't even, didn't even notice I did that. It's not that bad though, like it's not a big deal. And so you go about your day, but then a few weeks later, you notice on that same arm, you've got this little patch up on, 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 your, on your bicep up there that's just kind of, kind of like poison ivy-ish, right? It's just kind of raised up and bumpy and then it clicks in your head. Oh, shoot. Oh, this could be bad. You know, you know, you know how this goes. If it goes away, you're good. But if, if it turns white, that's a big deal. So you don't tell anyone. You go about your day. You keep an eye on it. And sure enough, pieces of that, like patches of that, that sore turn white. And and you notice that hand, more often than not, it starts to feel like it's asleep. It starts to tingle. So you're not telling anybody this is happening. You, you, push, you push this away mentally. You manage to make it through a few more weeks or a few more months, and your spouse notices. And you sit down and talk about it, and you realize, I have to go. I have to go to a Levite. I'm going to defile my whole family. I have to go to a Levite. And so you go. Your, your, your area has a synagogue. You don't have ready access to the temple, but there's some Levites around. And so you go, and they diagnose it, and you, you hear those words that change every facet of your life. Levite says, that is leprosy. You are unclean. And then everything changes from that moment on. You, you are, you sit in this house, like, right, well, these Levites come, and they actually, like, shred your clothes open, and they put this veil over your face, and they hand you some bells, and tell you to tie them to your clothes, and say, you need to leave. You need to go away from us. We have to clean our house now because of your presence. Go. Be gone. You you're able to kind of tell your spouse bye as you're leaving, but, but it's from like a hundred feet away, and so you kind of shout it to them, and then you're just out. You're just out. You're out in the wilderness, out in the fields where the animals wander. Every now and then, shepherds get a little too close, and you have to get up and move, and you yell at them, and they tell you to leave. You're your family brings you a little parcel of food at this established drop-off point every now and then, right? And, and, and every now and then, maybe you even run into other lepers at that drop-off point and have to, have to do a little fighting over the food, right? But this, all of a sudden, becomes your new normal. You are by yourself all the time. The only contact you have with your family are the notes that your spouse leaves with the little bundle of food. This is, this is your life. You don't touch anyone. You don't see anyone. You don't go to church. You don't hear from the scriptures. You don't hear the hope from the word. You don't hear anything except the sound of the wilderness. And then, one of those days, right, when you, when you run into one of these, these other lepers, you, he tells you about this dude Who's, who's been traveling around your area, this rabbi, and he's done some healing. And you think, that's, that's crazy. 
And, and you hear from some other guys, yeah, this guy doesn't just heal. He's actually cast out unclean spirits before. He actually has authority over uncleanliness. And then the wheels start to turn in your head and you think, wait a minute, this guy, this guy can heal illness and he can make unclean things clean? That, that makes a little sense, right? That, that like starts, starts this spark of hope in your heart where you think, I wonder, I wonder if this guy has authority over my uncleanliness, over my illness, right? And, and this builds up in your heart until, until and, and, and I, want, I can't stress this enough, desperation brings you to a breaking point. You hear that this guy has been traveling from village to village, and you know this dude is a rabbi. He's a teacher in the synagogues. There's no chance he will come near you. But the more you think about it, the more you realize he can do this if he wants to. He could fix this. He can heal people, and he can cast out demons. He has authority over illness, and he has authority over uncleanliness. He could do this. So you go and you seek him out. And, and when you see him traveling, you see him on the road, you, you, you almost instinctually, right, like reach for your bells to like jingle them, but instead you just push through it and you run at this guy. You run at him and you fall on your knees in front of him and just say, you can heal me if you want to. You can make me clean if you want to. Now, I can't stress enough, that was a jerk move. (laughs) You just imposed a whole bunch of stuff on that guy. Whatever synagogue he is traveling to, he can no longer go to because you have made him unclean. His response to you, like as you're, as you're like readying yourself, right, for, for the berating of this rabbi, for, for having, having imposed your uncleanliness on him, for, for having given him this, this burden, right, of dealing with your junk, as you're waiting for that berating to fall upon you, what you experience instead is a warm embrace and the words, I will be clean. This, beloved, is the experience of the leper. And in that, in that moment, he's, he's, you're so shocked by, by how strange his response is that it takes you a moment to realize you actually felt him touch you. That that. That the tingling in your arm and your neck that is there all the time is actually gone. And, and you actually feel his embrace. And, and as, you, as you stand up off your knees and you flex your muscles, all of a sudden you realize you have feeling in fingers that weren't there a second ago. And you stand up with clean skin and a whole body. And this rabbi looks at you and says, don't tell anybody. Go straight to the priests. 
offer the sacrifices that they can declare you clean and go about your life. Go. This is the experience of the leper. From from that level of of deep, soul-wrenching isolation to that level of freedom in life in a moment. This is the experience of the leper. Beloved, here's what I want you to hear. It's easy for us to think of Jesus' ministry and see him as a miracle worker. It's easy for us to look at Jesus' ministry and see him as this preacher and this prophet. It's easy for us to look at Jesus' ministry and see him as this disciple maker. But I want you to hear this. Jesus, whatever definition you seek to put around his kingdom that he is bringing forth on this earth, it is too small. The work that God is doing in a broken and sinful and cursed world is bigger than you can imagine. You see, this leper came to Jesus in desperation, hoping for healing, hoping for alleviation of his physical circumstances. And and let's be honest, they were pretty terrible, right? We can... We can relate to that and go, yeah, I get that. I get why you would be that bold and why you would be that desperate. But when it comes down to it, there's not a huge difference between the leper and the crowds who were bum-rushing him before. Jeff talked about this last week that so often we want access to Jesus' power, but we don't actually want to engage his person or his message. This This leper was desperate for the power of Christ to heal him. And beloved, Christ joyfully and generously gave it. But he wasn't satisfied to simply heal him. You see, this man had been so beat down and affected by the curse, every facet of his life was drenched in the curse of sin. He was physically suffering and dying. He was emotionally and mentally isolated and desperate and hurting. And he was spiritually cut off from his people and his God. Every facet of his person was cursed. And Christ was not satisfied to simply heal him. He broke the curse in every facet of this man's life. When Jesus says in verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, beloved, this is what he is declaring. Jesus is breaking the curse of this dead and sinful world. He is is marching in power into enemy-controlled territory, and he is finding the effects of death and the curse, and he is breaking them. Why was Jesus not satisfied to stay in a house and continue to heal even though momentum was being built and more and more people were getting excited? Because Jesus was not satisfied to just heal a huge group of people. He was about a kingdom that is making all things new. He was proclaiming a kingdom that had more power than just physical alleviation. Yes, that's part of it. Jesus delighted to meet the needs of those who are hurting. He is 
more generous than we know. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus speaks into every facet of hurt and curse and sin and death in the life of his creation. He, he loves his creation so dearly. He's not, he's not satisfied with just making things easier. His, his goal is to make things new. So he reaches out and he touches this guy and he gives him the dignity of a human being made in the image of God. And he says, you are a person. You are clean. You are connected to me. There is relationship. Now go and offer these sacrifices so that you can get back in the synagogue and hear the hope of God read from his word and be connected to him through worship. Yes, your illness is gone, but you are also my child, and I am, I am connected to you as family. I am adopting you. You're mine. Now go. Be restored to your family. Be restored to the fellowship. He speaks into every bit of this guy's story. Every bit of his person, every bit of, of every, every little area in his life that Satan was able to check off a box and say, here's my victory, here's my foothold, here's my fortress, this one's mine. Jesus didn't just blast a huge hole through that fortress. He took it entirely away. He made that man new. Beloved, this is our God. He's making things new. Beloved, Jesus makes all things new. All things. Every area of your life that is affected by the curse, Jesus is speaking into it. Every, every little bit of you, not just that area of sin that you come back to over and over and it just seems like that circumstance or that injustice or that habit or that whatever defines your person. Jesus is not just, just speaking into that. He's speaking into your whole person, your whole family, your whole community, this whole world, the entire creation. It is all his and he is making all of it new. Every piece. This is our hope. This is why being about the work of the kingdom is not just the proclamation of the word. Oh, it, trust me, it is that. We proclaim the message just as Jesus said, I, I came here to preach and so I'm going to do this. But it's not just that. The kingdom is bigger than that. The work of our Savior is larger than that. The scale is grander than that. That's why the work of the kingdom doesn't just include our boldness in declaring the gospel to our family and friends and neighbors. It also includes a safe house in Malawi. It, it also includes raising up new pastors in Mumbai. It, it also includes donating old clothes to homeless folk in North City. It also includes our faithfulness in, in stewarding our spouse and our families well. It, 
It speaks into every facet of the creation. Jesus is making all things new. Yourself included. Myself included. I want to I want to take us to a scripture in the Psalms. This is Psalm 103. I'm going to read this to us. And this is how we're going to wrap things up. It's the Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good that your youth is renewed like the eagles? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Beloved, that is all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. He acts his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, who do his will. Bless the Lord all his works in all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Come on. Here's where we're going to end this. The best thing, the most powerful thing about the story of Jesus and the leper is not that Jesus' vision for the kingdom is so big that he speaks into every aspect of this man's life, which he does, and that's true. But it's, it's this. Jesus, in his healing of this man, switches places with him. Do you see that? This man is ill and unclean and isolated, and he leaves Christ's presence clean and healed, and connected. But when Jesus touches the man, he makes himself unclean, and he cannot 
continue on in worship for a season. And because the man declares what he did, the crowds gather around him so much that he can no longer even openly enter cities, and he's isolated. The man woke up that morning in the wilderness, isolated, and went to bed in his home with his family. Jesus woke up that morning in a home with his friends and went to bed in the wilderness by himself. Beloved, Jesus does not just heal us. He takes our iniquity. He takes it from us. He takes our place. He bears the brunt of the curse. He bears the weight of the destruction of our sinful hearts. He takes those consequences on himself that we might experience the freedom that he wrought through his own righteousness. If that doesn't push you to go shout out in the streets, beloved, if you have experienced that kind of gospel work, if you have experienced the power of the kingdom which is at hand, which is making all things new, which speaks into every facet of your life, then there is no command from anyone that can make you be silent about it. Father, you are so good to us. You are better to us than we deserve. Jesus, you have met us in our uncleanliness, in our desperation. You reach out and you touch us and you take our iniquity upon yourself and it is gone. Jesus, thank you that you do not treat us according to our sins. Thank you that your love is steadfast. Thank you that you count us amongst your children. Thank you that the command you give us is love. God, thank you that we are included. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would place the weight of this truth upon our hearts. That it might affect us and work on us and change us and pour out of us into the world around us. Jesus, we love you. Trust you. Amen.